0: Hey, bestie. It's your host, Jordan, and you're listening to the Your Business Bestie podcast. Join me as I have one juicy-ass conversation with one badass entrepreneur. Get ready to be inspired, feel motivated, expand your mind, and feel seen and heard. Let's get into it. Life is like a game of cards, and we're not able to choose the hand that we're dealt. We just have to deal. And sometimes dealing is so hard. It can be too hard. It can be an unsurmountable amount of pain and anger and frustration, all these feelings that you're feeling, it could feel like you just really want to be buried six feet under. Like, I kid you not. And I know that this may seem a little too real (laughs) for y'all, but... This is reality. A lot of us are faced with severe, severe hardships in life. And maybe it's not that severe to you, but it is severe to the person experiencing it. So do not discount anybody else's experiences. The fact of the matter is, is we just don't know what people are going through, what they've been through. We're just seeing surface level. We're seeing beautifully curated social media feeds and that's about it. And when someone all of a sudden has this breakdown or this, you know, upset or this suicide, and we're just like, oh my God, why? How could that possibly happen? They were so this and so that, but what we didn't know was everything that they were dealing with below the surface. And we hide a lot of these things. We hide a lot of these things that we're dealing with because we are ashamed and we don't want people to think that we're weak and we can't handle it. And whatever the reasoning is, especially as an entrepreneur, I feel like you have to be even more strong seeming as a person, but it's many of us that are silently struggling and I'm not a huge God person by any means, but I am very spiritual and I do think that it is really important that you hold on to some kind of faith, especially when going through these hardships because it is that faith that brings you that resilience and that perseverance to overcome what you're going through because it is so easy to get stuck. So, without any further ado, I would love to introduce you to a dear friend and great client, Kelly Marie. She is a trauma healing and recovery mentor, advocate, and speaker. And she lost her son to an overdose, which made national news and sent her into a huge spiral of depression that led her to attempting suicide. And by the grace of God, she is here with us today to share her story and how she is using it to impact the lives of many others. Let's dive in.
1: I'm Kelly Marie, and um, I'm from here in Orange County. I'm a trauma recovery creatrix. And I call myself a creatrix because I've been through a lot of trauma (laughs) and recovery. And through all the years of my journey, I have learned that we're all different and unique and we all have different stories and we all have our own and we all have different difficulties and traumas that we go through in our lives and um, and different things work for different people. And we all learn differently and, and grow up in different beliefs and in different ways of being. And so um, that's what I love about the creatrix part because everybody recovers a little differently. And yet when we're in recovery, we're all um, choosing to become the healthier, healthier person that we are inside and continuing to grow in that. And whatever that is for you is how I feel. So it's such a personal journey, yeah?
0: Yes, I love that. And so you do personal one-on-one coaching
1: and... I sure do. I do personal one-on-one coaching anonymously. And I also am an organizational consultant. So I actually help people in in crises and also in being stuck emotionally in their material world of belongings and things in their in their safe space, their sacred space of their home, where Um, You process your life and your feelings. I help people deal with those things in a way that's so delicate because of years of experience of being an estate manager, working in the privacy of family homes, working in recovery, having a family of my own. Um, It's just amazing what I've learned through my, my actual experience in life and pulling it together today. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So your yes.
0: life experience. Um, I think this is really important because I feel like a lot of people base their current success or circumstances on their past circumstances. And okay. sometimes we get really hung up on what we've been through and it prevents us from moving forward. So I feel like you're a real prime example of someone who has been dealt with I want to say one of the most difficult hands I have ever seen or heard, like your story. I'm not sure how much you want to share with everyone today, but absolutely. I just want to say that your story definitely touched me because not only did it resonate, but I just seeing how you are now and all the things that you're accomplishing and you're doing, given what you've been dealt, it's just absolutely incredible to see um, you, you rise above. So let's just kind of talk about where you've been in your past, like your past
1: circumstances that have really led you to want to do what you're doing today. Oh, that's awesome, Jordan. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here to give a message of hope. And this is why, um, you know, I am a recovery person of trauma. And I continue to do recovery of my own work, absolutely. And um, self-discovery. And so it started very young for me, you know, like right when I shot out of my mother's womb, for some reason, I thought I was supposed to fix everyone and everything, you know, Cody Pennessy was birthed, If you know, if you'd like to go there with that one. And so, um, you know, so from the very start, I grew up, you know, in a very, uh, you know, pretty dysfunctional family. Um, and at the same time, you know, I just, I was a very cute, petite, little active, Little girl. And, um, but to me, I grew up in a normal little family, is what I thought when I was little at first, of course. And then my parents were divorced when I was young, but a lot of emotional and um, also I had sexual abuse uh, growing up as a little girl that was repressed um, for many years of my recovery, even. I did a lot of EMDR work and trauma therapy in my 40s. So it was a huge, huge healing process for me through different patterns of emotional patterns that I developed as a result of trauma growing up, not even recognizing it in my own recovery and teaching it too. (laughs) Totally. So humbly we must be, see, it's a process we learn and um, we're always learning, I feel. So from your childhood trauma, you didn't start
0: really working through that trauma until you were in your forties, you said? Um, No,
1: not really. It did start young, actually. Um, I started my recovery process at 24 years old, to be honest with you. So I was really blessed. I feel very grateful for that. Um, I kind of hit a bottom on cocaine, to be honest. And I I went to rehab and I started in the 12-step program. And that's kind of where it started for me. And so it worked real well. Um, I got very involved in the 12-step recovery process. And and then it wasn't too long after that, I got very involved in, um, counseling, going to counseling for myself personally, because things were coming up for me that I recognized I couldn't deal with in a group, you know, meeting per se, cause it was, you know, things were coming up inside of me through my inventory work, my personal inventory work through the program and my own sponsors and mentors that I was so blessed to come into my life. So, um, you know, my healing process was real beautiful. It really started. And I had already had a little boy. So I've already been married seven years at this point when I started my recovery. So I got married at 17. And I was very much in love with my husband. And then we had a little boy, Matthew, my oldest son, when I was 21. And then um, so he was like two and a half when I started my recovery. So I was i um, very blessed there and, um, and I did the counseling and, and then I had another little boy and so that was Bryce and he came five years later and I really felt that was important because now I'm studying everything because I'm a mom and um, the most important thing to me was as a child going through all the abuse is all I really dreamt about as a child was I wanted a healthy family so bad. Mm-hmm. That's all I ever wanted. You know, they would say to us growing up, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> and it's all I could think of in my head. is like, I just, I want a healthy family. I want to know what that is. I want to know what that is. I, I so yearned for whatever that, that was. Leave it to Beaver, maybe? <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> but I knew it wasn't screaming and yelling and magazines going across. The room. For <laughs> right? sure. So, um, but yes, the process of recovery begins, and um, and it was hard. It not easy painful stuff.
0: So as your kids were growing older, um, getting more into their like early adolescent, they were seeing you mom, you know, work hard and do this recovery work. Did they ever ask any questions or anything
1: like that? Or, um, you know, they grew up in recovery, to be very honest. Um, all my kids, um, they grew up in a home, a sober home. Um, to be honest, my, my ex-husband and I made a decision That raising our children that we didn't want the drugs or alcohol around. I came from an alcoholic family and a lot of abuse and I was horrified of the drugs and alcohol. So I I didn't want that around my children. And um, because I I was going to be a better parent than my parents, (laughs) right? I was going to do it better. That's the goal. (laughs) Yeah. That's the goal we all, I, I really learned through painstaking years of experience with it. You know, I, th- I don't believe that most people ever choose to have a child and um, can't wait to beat the shit out of it or abuse the child and right. then later wake up and go, holy shit, what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my God. Um, and there's, it, it, there's a lot involved in trauma in life that people don't wake up to. Till
0: million years later, till they're on their deathbed sometimes even. I feel like oh, most of the yes. people that I know that have dealt with childhood mm-hmm. trauma um, mm-hmm. and overcoming it and actually facing their parents to talk about it, the parents yeah. nine times out of 10 don't even
1: remember or don't see it that way. So it's a very difficult thing. And that's why often we must remove ourselves from the system or the social system that we're in. And go to someone outside of there that has an objective viewpoint, that's not emotionally involved in the situation, Mm -hmm. in order for you to step outside of the box and get a healthier viewpoint of the dynamics involved. Because if we're so involved just in our own thought process, we can't see outside of ourselves to deal with the problem, to recognize what the problem is we're stuck inside. trauma still so but it's a safety that we need that safety is to hold it is the most important part yeah to deal with trauma yeah I agree yes
0: so for you um parenting became kind of like your
1: whole thing it really did and and so I became you know kind of like pretty strict I think too you know it wasn't easy for for my kids too because I had a high standard for myself i had a very high standard for myself and um and i had pretty high standards for them too yeah and so it wasn't always easy yeah you kept you them know?
0: pretty busy right your sons are
1: both i did athletes. i did I, I i loved being a mother i just loved i loved being a mommy i loved being pregnant um uh, every baby was planned actually um, all the babies were five years apart. I had three. Yeah, I, I was really blessed. I had two little boys and a little girl. And then it was really fun. Uh, my oldest son was just he was super hyperactive. The, my firstborn was running like <laughs> nine months old. And I would go to mommy and me, and I was a young mom. So I, I didn't know. I was learning, of course. And I thought, God, what's wrong with my baby? Everybody's babies are sitting there, but mine's like crawling everywhere and out of control. And everyone's looking at me. And I have such low self-esteem. I remember how insecure I felt as a young mom. And, you know, I thought they were all judging me. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the, I can just remember back all the fear I had growing up. I just love to work with young women too, because it's just, um, it's part of growing up too. I think it is. It's just part of the unfamiliar in learning. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's a process. It's trial and error. And we learn from a lot of our mistakes and it's a journey. It's definitely a journey. But for me personally, I would say, I can honestly tell you that my faith and my resilience is one of the reasons I'm still alive today. And I just turned 60 years old, Jordan. On I know, 5.
0: congratulations. <laughs> I am so glad you are on this earth, Kelly. Like if you Thank had you. left this earth, what would I do without you? I never would have met you. It would have been insane. You were absolutely meant to be placed into my life. And I believe that I was meant to be placed in yours as well. But I'm so glad you're I here agree. today. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank God for your faith and your resilience.
1: <laughs> well, I think you're adorable, Jordan. And I feel the same about you. And this is the thing, sweetie, I feel that we learn from all people, you know, it doesn't matter how young or old you are. I've learned so much from you and I still learn tons from you. And I love that you're the boss, <laughs> the little boss. <laughs> and so I love your creativity and your ability to see a lot in people that others do not see. It's beautiful. I love that about you. You hone in on people's gifts very well. Thank you. I appreciate yes. that. So yes. let's
0: um, talk a little bit about kind of where, I guess I want to say where you, your life kind of took a dive. Um, Cause this is where I feel like a lot of people, things happen in their lives. And then when they take this plummet, they fall down. It's so mm-hmm. hard for them to get back up. So yeah. let's um, talk a little bit about that and share how you kind of climbed out of that.
1: Yeah. So I was really blessed. I I was blessed to, my dreams came true, beautiful family. And, and my boys became professional motorcycle racers. Um, I raised them, that was their dream. Uh, they were very athletic, both of them. And um, so we pursued it and I homeschooled and they, and they raced and we practiced and we worked hard and they were amazing, they were amazing athletes and they were, wanted to go professional in the sport. And so we honored that and they were good boys. So, but you know, my oldest son got addicted, um, actually, to be honest, to pain medication through injuries. Um, Matthew had several major injuries that took place. And so um, it was a bump, it was a difficult road because I was horrified of the drugs and all of that. But his first injury was at 13 and he was in the hospital for a week. And, you know, that was my beginning of. Uh, him experiencing an opiate and um, being a mother of an injured athlete and becoming a nurse full-time and a mom and a homeschooler and everything all at once so um, that was the beginning of a very difficult journey and I'm already in recovery in such a fun positive way you know I've got my children even babysit at meetings you know like I you know I'm I'm very involved in uh, leadership too in recovery work as I'm raising my children too. So it's just part of my life. So it was actually part of theirs too. So they were very aware of uh, drugs and alcohol and, you know, we were a church going kind of family and all that too, actually back in those times. But anyways, um, we get, they grow up, they get older and Matthew becomes a, a problem with the addiction of opiates and, um so when Matthew was 24 years old, um, he was overdosing quite often, and um, and then he got went to rehab this one last time. And uh, his brother just graduated from high school, and we just remodeled our own all, our home. And my daughter Michaela had had just started high school, so like they're all five years apart, like I shared. And so Matthew just turned 24 just got engaged to get married and had been sober all summer long. So I can honestly say it was like the best summer our family had had in a few years because, uh, he was sober. The dreams were coming true. He was engaged. Um, my son just graduated Bryce. My daughter was starting high school. The home was remodeled. I mean, Hey, things were great. We were just like, on, I was on cloud 10. That's what I can tell you. And, um, my um son's fiance had broke her neck when they were sw- swimming in the ocean he had come home from rehab for the weekend he was still in rehab at salvation army and uh it was labor day weekend or memorial day weekend um in the beginning of the school year it was uh clothes shopping with my daughter i'll never forget it and um, he called and said mom christina broke her neck we're at the hospital." I don't know what to do. I'm supposed to go back to rehab. I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm the mom, like, you know, okay, I'm coming to the hospital. And I we were just finishing. It was like nine in the evening. So, and she's starting high school. So we rushed to the hospital and sure enough, she, she had a clean a break in her neck, believe it or not. And so she did come home with us and my son um, chose to stay home. With her and not go back to Salvation Army. And um, that was a nerve wracking thing for me as a mother because I had all those fears, of course, tremendously so. Um, And anyway, Matthew stayed back and, um, you know, we were helping Christina and all that. And then um, two weeks later, um, my son, I came home and, my husband and my other children had gone camping for the weekend and I had worked all day on Friday and I came home and I didn't see Christina and Matthew. Um, I, they had gone to bed and my family was gone. And the next morning a phone call came and it was someone calling for my son, an old friend. And I had a horrible feeling in my gut. I just knew it wasn't the right friend. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't happy. And I went to the back room, knocked on the door, said, Matthew, your friend's on the phone, wants to know where his mom's Mercedes keys are. So, you know, that's not a good phone call. <laughs> no, Where's my mom's keys to her car? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and, um, and so he took the phone and I just went to my room and prayed. I just felt sick to my stomach. It was in the morning and um, I came out 20 minutes later and my son came out of the room and he was all fucked up already, first thing in the morning. And he was sober the day before. And um, and that was the start of the worst nightmare of my life. And um, so my son was fucked up for 32 hours. And um, so he was fucked up all day Saturday. And then Saturday night, you know, Christina, couldn't take it anymore and she went to her mother's and um and so then my son I just said look I'm tired um you can sleep in your sister's room if you'd like you know what I mean to go to bed and um and we can start all over tomorrow the next morning um bathroom door was locked and I had to break into the bathroom door and I found my son dead, and I I was, I was in shock. I mean, my life radically changed forever that day. But it wasn't as bad as I had always feared in my head, which is so interesting. You know, in hindsight, I can share this with people. But yeah, my life radically changed that morning. And um, I just remember he was on the floor and he was in a fetal position. And I was very blessed I found him the way that I did. Um, I didn't see anything ugly. Um, I just saw my son with his trunks on, with no shirt, in a fetal position. And I tried to push him over and I couldn't, I couldn't understand that it was, you know. And um, I went down to see if he was breathing on the floor and I could see his last breath on the floor because he had smoked and there was pills on the floor. I could see the pills. And, you know, I knew he had taken pills. That was his drug of choice um but I didn't know he ever saw a doctor <laughs> there's so much more to my story I know so um that day was very difficult and uh I you know called you know nine one one. they told me to go outside I was so freaked out I thought what do you mean go outside I was, you know they they knew he was gone when I'm talking to him on the phone you know they wanted me to go outside <laughs> they were coming and uh I'll just never forget. So anyway, um, that was a long day. It was on a Sunday morning. It was announced at our church and there was over a hundred people that showed up at my house while my son was laying in the bathroom dead with uh, police everywhere. And um, that went on for like four hours. And my husband, my ex-husband and my children were frantically trying to get home and they had their trailer and the motorcycles. They were trying to drop them out in the desert so they could get home to me and, and their brother. It was really a really tough situation. And everybody loved our family so much. We had a lot of beautiful people in our lives and they were just all there to support. But I just remember how how surreal it was. and just, But I could not believe how God met me there that day too. I have amazing moments that day that I can tell you that are golden nuggets that, that I would never train for anything in the world on the darkest day of my life. So um, isn't that interesting? No, absolutely. <laughs> I never thought I'd ever say anything like that. But, you know, let's go 14 years later. Let's, I want people to know that 14 years later. And for those see. of
0: you who are listening that don't know, um, the story that Kelly's talking about made national news, uh, the woman that was, um, responsible for giving your son the pills was actually, yes. uh, someone who was broadcasted all over major networks on, on the news. Yes. And she was all over a, the world, Yeah, a yes. doctor. So
1: let's talk a little bit about that too. Absolutely. Well, this is huge. So yes. So Matthew died in 2007. And we did outreach and all that, you know, those, you know, all for a few, three years, like, and then 2010 comes and the LA Times came to us to inform us, there's an investigation going on that we knew nothing about. So our son's been dead three years. And, um, and now there's this investigation going on. And they met us at our kitchen table. It was shocking. And And real
0: quick, not to cut you off, but during these three years, you're still going pretty hard through the grieving process.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to counseling. I have my psychiatrist. Oh, 100%. I'm doing grief grips, grief share. My husband and I did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm involved in um, doing my son was in a movie called Dope, Death of Prison. Eventually, um, with an outreach that was... uh, with the world champion skateboarders from the 70s to Christian Hosoi into the 90s. And, and my son grew up with Ryan Scheigler, the famous world champion skater today. I mean, they all grew up together. So it's kind of funny, but he, my son ended up being at the end of that documentary. They used that as a platform, death or prison eventually. That's what dope does. Absolutely. And so Matthew was at the end of the film. He went to his rehab, that's why. Yeah. And so we were doing outreach there. We were speaking at men's rehabs. So we were a little burned out. It's been three years that we were doing outreach and um, it was really hard and it was taking a toll on our family. And my husband had made and I made a choice that we were going to back off on that some and focus more on the on the kids and not so much on what's no longer here. It was was taking a toll on all of us. And, you know, my obsession with it, too, was was a lot, you know, And we also lost a brother nine months after our son too, which was really a difficult time. But then you fast forward and- um, It's like you're trying to get through everything and then it's like you're hit with this new side of the story. Right, so they come to our home. We're not allowed to tell anybody. The investigative reporters of the LA Times, Scott Glover and Lisa Guerrion is in the documentary. I'll talk about in a minute. Um, they came and sat at our kitchen table, and they were so nice. We all cried at my kitchen table with my husband and I. And those, they sat down and read the full corners report. I never got laid out six young men that are dead, like my son, to let us know that our son saw a doctor. I never knew he. We never knew he saw a doctor. Then they read the full report, and the only thing that was in his body is what she prescribed him. Now the investigation started in 08. They went and hung out at the Orange County Coroner's office and uncovered Matthew's death directly linked to Dr. Lisa Sang out of Roland Heights in the state of California. And um, so anyways, this is the beginning of an investigation in 2010 and we're not allowed to say anything. And then a month later, they raid her office and they asked my ex and I, if we would please be on the front page. They wanna bring awareness to the world of what's going on with prescription opiates and the epidemic of Oxycontin and all the overdose deaths that are taking place. Grandma, grandpa, lock up your medicine. It doesn't necessarily mean it's your kid. Don't take it personal, please just lock it up if you're not using it if it's old expired medicine nobody's going to get busted just turn it in we did a big drug drive i mean out in la we were on the front page of the la times it was amazing and the outreach was huge and um a week later my husband lost his job you know after his career of 19 years you know raising our family we just come out of a recession 0809 a death of really? a son a brother Um, We're going, we're going, we're kind of going down.
0: Yeah. It's like one hardship after the next.
1: Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of losses, a lot of painful losses. So now here we are, we're going through an investigation. Now my husband's lost his job and our son's been gone three years and now we're getting a lot of phone calls. Okay. Now she's been raided. Her office has been raided. Now it's all on the news, right? We've been on the front page. People now are aware of who we are. And as it continues to go on, um, it's a lot. Um, We have a lot of young adult children dying and a lot of prescription overdoses taking place. So we're in 2010 and now we're gonna go into 2011. We're getting lots of phone calls, a lot of angry parents. Oh, there's so much going on, on the outreach in the fight for this, against this doctor. And there's still young men dying. And, I mean, young adults, I mean, not just men, but you know, it's just, it, it, it's so, it's so shocking. I mean, at the end of the whole thing. Um, and so then, you know, you know now we're going to lose our home we're coming into and and in 2011 i um i hit such a such a bottom in my life over some other things too I, I won't go into that but it was in december um i uh attempted to take my own life and um i was almost successful i i was it was taking such a toll on me all the all the death all the All the darkness of the drug and the opiate, the grieving parents, um, and the loss and the trauma that was taking place, and the fighting, and the anger. And I was falling apart. I mean, like, we're, we're, we're barely surviving now financially. And, you know, my other two, I mean, like, they lost their mother somewhat, of course, when I lost my son. And I wasn't able to stay very strong for them. I was, you know what I mean? It was hard when I, when they would cry about their brother, I would try so hard to be there for them. And I hurt so bad for them. Then I would get caught up in the crying and then I'd fall spiral down. Okay. And so it just was a nightmare for them. It, you know, that's still, you know, it, it, but it, it doesn't. Bother me today because today there's nothing I can do about that. Then because it's so much innocence in all of it, it's like as a mother, I I don't know what to say, and so that's why I do work with people today. Is because I can say that you know, hey, there are areas in our life where it's we don't know, and things can happen, and and we're still here, and we have to figure it out, and I and I'm still alive. And I, and I was on a breathing machine for three days. And so people were praying for me. So they didn't think I was gonna make it. I mean, I didn't take the pills to use drugs. I wasn't into getting high. I mean, I was into recovery. I took medications for severe depression that I suffered from terribly. And I was also diagnosed bipolar when I was younger with postpartum psychosis. So I struggled with depression terribly And, um, and I tried to take my life, and I survived it. And um, I got shamed pretty bad, (laughs) to be honest. And I didn't know what to do with it. It was so devastating. I was told, you know, look what you did right out of ICU. So I wake up and Um, They roll me into the medical unit. I know I'm not going home for a long time because they're going to take me to the psychiatric unit too. I've tried to take my life. But um, I didn't even know what happened when I woke up. So I have bruises everywhere. I've never blacked out in my life. I don't, you know, I I have um, repressed trauma from my childhood, but I never blacked out like in my adult type life. And so it was shocking. And um, as all I know is that, the next thing you know, I'm in the medical unit and leadership came in to like, <laughs> like oh, my God, why did you go do that? You blew and this is everything. Really quick.
0: Sorry not to cut you off. That's leadership yeah. from the church because you're still yes. in the church at this point.
1: Yes. You, you know, you're all doing outreach on overdose. Your son overdosed. You're helping all these people and you go and overdose. <laughs> what did you do? And I'm right out of ICU. And this is so interesting This is beautiful. What I'm going to share. So I have a security nurse 24 seven because I'm a danger to myself. Okay, I'm out of ICU. So this black dude, that's like six foot tall, sitting at my feet. He's my nurse. He's like 40, a retired vet dude, and he's he's a like a chaplain kind of dude. He's got his Bible with him even. So, but he's a nurse. He's sitting there at my feet, and this is all taking place. And after this person leaves. He looks at me and says, you know, you're okay. And I just looked at him and he goes, I just want you to know I was present through the whole thing. And what happened was completely unacceptable. What took place here. And I'm here to support you. And if that was not God. I <laughs> has the Bible right there. Good. Yeah. Cause that
0: is not God.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think he was more horrifying than, Probably I was. I mean, it was like he was very aware what was going on. Yeah. But I was like in shock. But it was kind of this is kind of cute little sign too. this bird kept flying up to the window. And it was this it was this little bird. And it would continually visit me the whole time I was there. Oh, my gosh. And I felt like it was God. So this is so funny. So it was horrifying what took place there. And so he reassured me and I knew that was God. This is my faith. This is my childlike faith that came in, came in. And this is even after trauma EMDR work that also came in that assisted me to be alive today. I swear, as the mere fact I've done the work. You know, um, some people say, oh, the work didn't work because look, she tried to take your life. Bullshit. It has too. I've helped tons of people for many years. I lost a son. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of people don't know my story. And it is a story. But I also get to help people today. And it's a beautiful thing and I never thought, I I, I never could imagine anything good could have come out of my biggest fear it did become my reality. My son's death to drugs. When I raised him sober, you know, I thought that's fucked up. Why is, why is that parent all fucked up raising their kid and their son sober and mine's not, mm-hmm. you know, I had to go through all that. I had to go through a major forgiveness for the doctor, for myself. And
0: absolutely. Cause it doesn't make sense ultimately, you
1: yeah, know, because I was the one that was dying
0: inside. And then that's another thing I want to touch on, too. It's it's interesting that these people from the, the church came in to kind of like chastise you in a way, um, yeah. when in reality, it's like we go every day. I mean, every day we ex- see people in our lives and um, maybe we handle a situation in a certain way, but we don't know what that person's really going through. Like you, for example, you're doing all this work and you're doing all this outreach and you seem like, you know, you've really got it all together, given the circumstances of everything that's happened. You're still on top of it. You're still doing all the things. And then bam, it's like all of a sudden, Oh my God, wait, what? She tried to commit suicide. What? And it's like, these people don't even realize like what you've been dealing with or going through this Mm -hmm. entire time. It's just All they see is, you know, what's there on the surface. It's not like, oh, she's probably really going through a depression or she probably is really sad or, you know, any of those things. It's just,
1: yeah. All those things used to drive me crazy because I used to worry about all those things that everybody used to think I was so shamed to death and um, all my dreams had come true and it blew up. It's like, oh my God, I had a God box explosion that would blow your mind. It was the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me, to be honest. And I love God, so just so you know, God's not in a box, and that's what I mean by that. So that's the beautiful part. I, you know, that's what I mean by God box explosion. I just feel it's huge. God's huge. It's far bigger than what we, than what I, what I had believed, and it's always expanding for me personally. It's personal, really.
0: It's amazing to see that you still have so much faith and such strong faith, given everything that's happened to you. Because I feel like even things that have happened to me in my life, there have been times where I'm like, is there a God? Like if there's a God, then why would he do this? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to see someone like you, who's not just faced one extreme hardship, but very many (laughs) and still have that strong faith, it's, it's really incredible to see
1: I feel very blessed to have that, you know, and, um, and that does stem from my childhood. And I do remember though, in my process and in the recovery of the biggest bottom of my life after my son's death and the overdose was a wise man <laughs> had shared with me, you know, hey, maybe kill me on accident all those prayers you put in those prayer boxes. For God, maybe you accidentally put God in the box. Oh my God, I cried for three days. <laughs> That's so sweet, innocently sweet because I felt like God's in the box. Oh my God, I need, I didn't mean to. I had no idea put God in the box. It was such a, a spiritual awareness for myself. It was mind boggling to me. And I was in my late forties here, okay? And so, and I'm a very spiritual woman all my life. And, so, and it was kind of like, he, he, so he suggested I go outside and uh, sit in nature a little bit and get reacquainted with a little girl in me and the woman today. It was the best advice anyone could have given me to be honest. And I did some major soul searching and it's beautiful. And uh, the shame that I felt it came after my overdose, the shame that went through my whole lifetime from my birth, probably before that, you know, generational resentment.
0: <laughs> I know, right?
1: It's brewing in the womb. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, we'll, te- we'll, we'll, te- we'll be teaching on that in the future. <laughs> generational resentments did that happen in your lifetime or was that your great grandma can you get a little more present oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what are your dreams anyway life is different now we can do that isn't that beautiful yeah i love it we've come so far so far we're still learning too. like some of the recovery work like jordan that we've learned too is isn't so healthy you know that we have to um some of it's not so healthy and yet, and, and like even our parents, like they said they were going to do better too, right? And yet, you know, this isn't just a blatant thing because, you know, we have to take responsibility for our lives, right? It doesn't matter what our parents do. We can't blame anyone for anything, really. At the end of the day, we have to be responsible for ourselves. So 100%. when we run around and blame, it, it doesn't get us anywhere this way. And I've done the whole thing. I mean, I, you know, and I can still fall there. That's why it's important to me to always stay in recovery. One of the reasons I do what I do is because it helps me remember what I'm supposed to do. You're working
0: one-on-one privately Mm -hmm. with clients and you're really helping them through like a multitude of things. I mean, obviously it's case by case.
1: But. Well, it's really getting down to the core of what it is that they need to deal with. And I, I'm able to get there really quickly with people because I've worked with so many people for many years in many diverse situations, different religions, different beliefs, different circumstances. So, it's, And then having my own major trauma work, losses, and now at this age, being just simply myself, grieving the empty nest, learning to just be myself now, having to reinvent myself. And now I get to be myself. I have a wealth of, of experience and I'm always learning and growing. But today it's beautiful that I, I get to simply share some things, some things that I share work for people, some doesn't, but it's okay. Because you know what, that's how I got better these people came into my life beautiful mentors that's why i'm so excited to share mentors all throughout my life like all these men became the perfect dad because there's no such thing as a perfect all these women became this perfect mother these dynamic women all through my life it's a beautiful thread and i just want to tell the world listen you're not an orphan. Yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> totally. No, you know, you're not, not alone. alone. And sometimes our families aren't healthy for us. And it doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we don't love them. But sometimes it's not healthy for us to stay there. Because if we do, it, it takes us back. It doesn't take us to our dreams. Nope. It, it keeps us sometimes stuck. Stagnant.
0: and it's painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So another thing that you just started doing um, recently too in your business is the organizational aspect. I definitely know how important it is to have your space be absolutely peaceful and so you can do the work or do what you need to do or you know get through your day-to- day life. Your space is so, so important. So tell me what you're doing with people's spaces.
1: 100%. I love what I do. First of all, I was an estate manager for years for very wealthy people, lived and worked in these homes. It's amazing to me how much emotions are attached to material things. I'm an organizational consultant to help people in their sacred space, in the privacy of their home or wherever it is, you know, that box that you've had, you know, you can be the most successful business person, you know, put together Person, and you have this box that you cannot deal with. It, it keeps getting put in the corner for 10, 20 years have gone by now, and you got to go through the freaking box. So I'm the person that you, that you call. You know, you're the estate manager, someone dies in the family. Everyone's at battle over all the material things. It's so sad. It's a hard thing. This is real life, real life stuff. And, um, but that person has to deal with the estate. And so they hire me to come in to be with that person because I can be, I can do those emotions that are so painful and help them do it in a healthy way, in a healthy healthy way, way. because right now it's not about what everyone else wants. It's about Mm -hmm. this person is also grieving and has to deal with this estate, but the family they can't do. Everybody wants something from this person and they're going to have a complete meltdown and this could be the most successful wealthy person, you know, Mm -hmm. and they need somebody. We all do. It's life. Yes. And I have a mother's heart. So, and that kind of empathy and compassion. So, but I can also get, be direct and walk through it with them. So it's really beautiful. And I never imagined (laughs) it being this, but after having everything, being paid a lot of money to take care of people's million dollar Grandfather clocks and artwork and chandeliers and whatever else they have. I just learned that they're people too. You know, you're like the fly on the wall when you're cleaning people's houses, okay? But um, that's how I was able to raise my family. I cleaned houses. It's kind of how I did it. I kind of was always an entrepreneur. I guess I didn't know it. I I know my own my own work. Literally everything. Everything you've been through
0: has been a just I guess like a gift to you to help you do what you do today.
1: It is. It's interesting. And um, I really didn't know how that was supposed to look, but I always, it's, it's amazing to me. I've always kind of known. And so have some of the closest people to me have always known this. I was going to share this, my story. And, and then Warner Brothers came. And so I also share my, story, my son's story on Oxygen Network with, on the documentary License to Kill. Yeah. About so anyone about her, who wants to watch yeah. that, what episode number is it? It is in season two. It's, it's on license to kill season two, episode five, and it's called prescription for murder. It's about Dr. Lisa saying it's a true documentary and she's the first doctor to go to prison in the state of California for negligent prescription prescribing and for murder. And Michael Jackson's doctor didn't even go to prison. And my son, Matthew, was the foundation of the whole trial. And uh, it's shocking. So they did a fabulous job. They convicted Dr. Lisa Singh and she probably will never get out. A real real doctor drug dealer thing, situation. And so unbelievable. Just
0: yes. greed is really what it comes down to is greed.
1: It is greed. And it's unfortunate. I, you know, and I was able to forgive her a long time ago and let that go. And that's another reason you know, uh, my faith has sustained me, um, because she has to live with that. That's not my thing, but that that's a journey of its own too. So I help people through these kinds of things. And, um, then I love what I do. Tell us um, people break through (laughs) breakdowns are breakthroughs. Yes, indeed. (laughs) A hundred
0: percent. Tell, um, our listeners, uh, how they can get in touch with you if they want to work
1: with you. Oh, absolutely. Well, you can find me on Instagram and I'm Kelly Marie on there. And you can also find me on Facebook um, as Kelly Marie and I'm also Kelly Marie Stavron. Um, You can also go to my website. It's www.kellymarie.me and you can check me out there. And there's also uh link tree you can find that there on my instagram page profile and you can find all kinds of stuff you, you can go book a complimentary consultation with me which is really what you should do because then you could get an idea of what maybe i can do for you or not do for you because i don't want i don't like to waste people's time because you know not everyone works
0: for everybody Thank you so much, Kelly. I'm so happy that you came on for me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you sharing your story and getting vulnerable with everybody. It means a lot.
1: Well, it means a lot to me too, Jordan. And you know, it's, there's a lot of negativity out there today. There's a lot of hurting people. Even my doctors are super excited that I've, that I'm where I'm at today because um, they say it's worse now than ever before. Suicide and all of it. And so I guess God had a plan. And so today I just want those people to also to know that have tried that they matter and they're here for a reason. And I love you. And you know, there's hope to dream again and it's okay.
0: Wow. Wasn't that just incredible to hear her story? It's like someone faced with so many hardships and creating such a beautiful life for themselves. I just, I love stories like that. And it's just proof for ourselves and those of us who face some of these things that there is hope and we can make it to the other side and have that beautiful life that we desire. And I also just want to second what she said at the end there, that everything is going to be okay. Believe that. Thanks so much guys for tuning in. See you next time. If you loved this episode and were saying to yourself, this bitch is my new business bestie please leave me a review, a comment, share, like, and subscribe, and all that other super supportive shit that don't cost a thing. Dive deeper into this episode inside the Your Business Besties private Facebook group. Catch live episode discussions and Q&As with episode guests. Find all links and episode information in the show notes below. See y'all in the group.